Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. I, I have to say, I have never been or served at a church where I can say that I think I've been in touch with what it sounds like in heaven <laughs> with you guys singing. You guys blow me away. <laughs> that was one of the things that me and my wife, when we first uh, came here to kind of check, check you guys out while you guys were checking us out, was we were like impressed with you guys and how loud you guys sing. <laughs> it's like a choir of angels in this place. And so, yeah, I just thank you guys. <laughs> it's such a blessing just to sit here and listen. Um, well, I'm Jeff. I'm on staff here at Faith Cove, and me and my wife just moved here a month ago, and so we are finally starting to get settled. And once again, we just want to thank you for uh, helping us move, the meals, and just your general hospitality towards me and my family as we have uh, come into this new town. And uh, it's just a, such a privilege to be here, and this morning it's a privilege to share the Word of God with you guys this morning. So will you guys join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. We thank you for your abundant love in our lives. And God, we pray that you would just open up our hearts and minds to your truth and wisdom this morning. And may it take root in our lives, and may we live it out. Oh God, our Redeemer. Amen. Well, this is our second week in our series that we're calling uh, That Love May Abound. And so Kirk kicked us off last week, and if you missed his message, we just want to invite you to uh, jump on our website and check it out. It was a great message, and it just kind of keeps you up to date. And so I'm preaching on the second week, and we're talking about chapter 2, specifically verses 12 through 18. But before I get into that, I just kind of wanted to give you guys a background of why Paul was writing this letter to refresh your memories and just to kind of give us the context in which we're going to be um, exploring the scripture this morning. And so Paul, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippians um, mainly as a thank you letter. He's thanking them for their partnership in the gospel. He's thanking them because they are actively working and loving the, our God and living it out in their lives. He's also encouraging them. He's encouraging them to continue the work that they have already begun to do, that God has begun to do in them. And Paul also wanted to encourage them to stay unified. And amongst all the stuff that is going on, they were experiencing some external pressure uh, from outside the church, but they were also experiencing some internal pressure from a few people within their church. And so Paul wanted them to stay unified and not to experience disunity. I think disunity is pretty prevalent in our current culture. It's easy to see disunity disrupt, hurt, and even destroy in today's day and age. Whether it's disunity within our country or other countries, or disunity at work, or disunity at our, in our families and in our marriages. It's hard to see the lack of unification in the different areas of life. It's not hard to see these things. I mean, all we got to do is step, uh, turn on our TV and watch the news or jump on social media and just read Facebook for a while. We see that there's a lot of disunity happening. And that's why unity is so important. This is why it is so important for the church. It's not only us here at Faith Cove, um, but also the global church. I think unity is important for us for several reasons. One, I think it's an indication of our internal health as a church. When we're able to be unified in our vision and mission 
and how we live that out as a congregation. That is important for us. And the second part of that is that it becomes pivotal for our witness to the world. When we are unified in our vision and mission for God, and we're living that out, then it becomes our witness to the world. We stand out because our world is not very unified. So I want to keep these two reasons in the back of our head as we walk through the scripture this morning to help us frame what Paul was asking the church of Philippians and still asking us today. So today's text is Philippians 12, uh, verses 12, uh, 2, not 12, 2, verses 12 through 18. And I'm going to start out, break these into pieces as uh, this morning um, and kind of just so we can digest them easily. So the first part is the first part of verse 12. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence. I want to stop us right there and point out a couple of things. The first is Paul addresses the church as his dear friends. These are his people. Do you guys have people you consider like your people? These are Paul's people. They've been supporting him in the gospel. They've been supporting him in his mission. And they um, are living out what he has taught them to live. He's excited for them. And these are his people. And this is a different tone than we see in some of Paul's other letters where he's, you know, just addressing the church. And this is more of an intimate phrase that Paul is using to address this church. And the second thing is this, that Paul is encouraging his close friends to persist in what they are already doing. They're already living it out. And this is also different in the tone that Paul has in other letters, where it is often correction and asking for repentance and to rid themselves of things in their congregation. But Paul is encouraged by what's going on, and he wants to continue to spur them on in their good acts. And the third is this, and right at the beginning of that sentence, it says, therefore, and I just want to highlight this because oftentimes Paul uses this as a transition uh, from going from his teaching to the application of what he just taught. And so we read a huge chunk of scripture this morning, and part of that is just to kind of keep it in the front of our minds, but it's also to help us understand uh, what we're about ready to dive into. And so I want to sum that up for you guys really quick. It says um, in verses 2 through 11, Paul wants them to continue to work in unity for them to be like-minded, having the same love and the same spirit and of one mind, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, to honor others above themselves, to not look at their own interests, but to look at others' interests first. Paul is encouraging them to be humble servants. And then he transitions in verse 5 and he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. In your relationships. So this isn't just individual. Oftentimes, as Americans, <laughs> everything's just about us, right? Me, 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 me. He's addressing the community here. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the mindset of Christ. And then he walks into what uh, many theologians call the Christ hymn, which, is a be- which beautifully describes Jesus. That Jesus was a hum- that humbled himself and became a servant, obedient to God in death. And Jesus was exalted to the highest place. And it was all for the glory of God. So to sum it up, Paul's teaching was to encourage them to continue to be obedient 
in their relationships with one another by having the mindset of Christ, which is unity through humility, a humility which is purposely sets the interests of others above our own and finds its example in Christ. So now we move on to the next part. So the, the second part of verse 12 and 13. And I think a lot of us, when we read this, we sometimes get hung up on this verse. Uh, and so I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to talk about two reasons why I think we get hung up on this verse. It says this, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For, God, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The last part of verse 12 is where I think we get hung up. I think we get hung up for two reasons. When we read this verse, we don't take it in the larger context. We immediately think that Paul is indicating that we need to earn our salvation. But Paul doesn't teach that in any of his letters. Paul, in fact, the big, big narrative that Paul uh, teaches about salvation is that it's by grace through faith. There's no way we can earn it. And we read that in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, where it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the centerpiece of Paul's theology on salvation. And so we're not called to be work for our salvation, but we're called to work out our salvation, to continue to flush it out, to continue to live as Christ has called us to live, and that we should do this in fear and trembling. But what Paul means by that is not that we're sitting here cowering before God, but we're doing it out of reverence, understanding how big our God is, that we want to continue to live it out because we know that God's got bigger purposes for us than we could ever imagine. And that the things that he gives us are worthy of our time and effort. But the most important piece of this section of scripture is the next verse in 13, which is a part of the same sentence. And it says, it is God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's God who helps us, and it's his will that is in us, and he helps us to act to fulfill his good purpose. God is the driving force behind all this. It isn't us. It isn't anything we can earn. It is God working through us, fulfilling his good purposes. And Paul is encouraging the church to continue in this. And I want to encourage us to do the same. And the second reason I think we get hung up on this section is, I believe, at the heart of the issue, and I think we live in, well, I know, I shouldn't say I think, <laughs> we live in a very transactional culture. We live in a culture where everything we do is performance-driven. We are, we earn our income. We earn the accolades that we get. We earn our material possessions. Um, we earn respect and it's really, really hard to separate that transactional mindset from the love of God. And so when we hear something like the love of God is free and it's him working in us, we're like, this can't be. <laughs> so we hear this section of scripture and we're like, obviously we got to do something, right? Like it's up to us. <laughs> but Paul just wants us to flesh it out. He wants us to be humble. He wants us to allow God to work in us to be those humble servants and putting others first. 
I think there's a great quote from Dallas Willard about spiritual formation, which is really about us working out of um, our foundation that applies to this. It says, the process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas filled, that filled the mind of Jesus himself. Spiritual formation in Christ moves us to, uh, toward a total interchange of our ideas and images for him, his. I think this is what Paul was getting at in verse 5 of Philippians when he said, in your relationships, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. We are to exchange our understanding of the world and our ideas for his because he is God and he is sovereign and he knows better than us, which is hard to do because I don't know about you guys, but um, I'm a control freak. <laughs> you know, I like to do things the way I like to do things. And so to submit to God in that is tough. <laughs> and so maybe some of you guys can relate with me on that one. <laughs> but we're basically adopting a biblical worldview. And this is at the centerpiece of it. That God is a generous and good God. And he's a God who gives in abundance. But we tend to live in scarcity. But God's abundance overflows in our lives. And I am reminded of Psalm 23, where it says, My cup overflows. That, if you're familiar with that psalm, it is, it's a treasured psalm, first of all, but it, it, I love it. I've been reading it since I was five years old when a pastor gave that to me when I was having nightmares at one point in time. He's like, read this psalm when you have your nightmares. And so I have just memorized this psalm and read it all the time. But this psalm is about God's abundant love and provision. Even when we're in our darkest times, in the valley of the shadow of death, we're feeling no evil because God is with us. He's abundant. He is present. And even when I'm sitting at a table with my enemies, the Lord anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. I can't think of a poetic understanding of some dire situations that is better than that. But it's hard to live out when we're living in a place of scarcity instead of abundance, which leads us to our next verse, verses 14 and 15. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, and then you will shine among them like stars as you hold firmly to the word of life. Like I said, it's hard to do when we're living, do this when we're living a life of scarcity and not out of God's abundance. When we live a life of scarcity, we learn that we must protect what we have. It's ours. We need it. And if we give it away, we might be, uh, end up suffering. And compared to God, God's abundance, he's constantly giving us the things we need to do what he asks of us. And we forget that things like love, forgiveness, acceptance, kindness are not commodities that diminish when used. They're not. Although it can be tough sometimes to love people, but we have an endless amount of love when we're uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And being a parent, uh, I've experienced this for the first time. Well, I've experienced a lot, <laughs> I should say, for the first time. But being a parent for the first time has made me realize this more and more. <laughs> I have a daughter, her name is Annika, and she's one years old, and she is fiercely independent and does what she wants. <laughs> and as a dad who likes to control things, that is, ah, sometimes, you know? 
And I've never thought in my entire life I would love as much as I loved after having my daughter. I never thought I would be able to forgive the way I'm able to forgive my daughter when she rips off the curtains that I just hung up off the wall and makes a big old hole in the brand new wall. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's tough. It's <laughs> not, not easy, but, but I'm able to forgive. Why? Because she's my daughter and I love her and I want what's best for her. Even when she screws up, she doesn't lose any value from me when she does wrong because she's my daughter. And that's how God views us. That's what it looks like to live in abundance with God being at the center of our lives. See, I delight in my daughter. And I think that this word delight is not one that we use a whole lot. It's not a part of my vocabulary, vocabulary a lot, but delight is how I would describe that. I delight in my daughter and God delights in us. That's a part of how he's abundant in his love. And now when I was trying to think of a good example, I actually came back to my daughter <laughs> of what, how this plays out in life. And so it, the, the story goes, is it's about me taking my daughter to Costco, <laughs> of all places, has taught me about delight, okay? So when I was living in Michigan before I moved here, I was working part-time, and it was part of my responsibilities to go get groceries every week. And one of my favorite things to do, not because I liked getting groceries, but it was, because, it was to go to Costco because of my daughter. She absolutely loves Costco. And it's not for the free samples. She's too young. So she just, she just loves to go. And um, the reason is, is because she loves to connect with people. I'll put her in a cart, and we'll uh, start going around to get our groceries. And she's just looking at people, like, dipping her head, trying to get people's attention. She'll make her little flirty laugh and, like, tuck her chin like that. And she delights in connection with people. It's pure. It's innocent. And she is overjoyed when people look back. And I can tell you this, like, Ah, this is why it's my favorite, because I can be strolling down the aisle and see somebody who's having a bad day and roll my daughter by, and they can't help but switch and be delighted too, because my daughter looked at them with delight. My people of Faith Cove, this is how God looks at you, looks at me, looks at all of us. He delights in us. He's just dying to have that connection with us. To look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is our Lord. And when we understand this, this um, when we understand that God delights in us, that is, and, and that this is the God that we love and serve, it transforms the way we live and the way we love and serve others. We love like Paul described. We become humble servants, sacrificing for each other. When we live in a place of scarcity, we start grumbling, like was just mentioned in the verse I read. Grumbling and complaining uh, about not having enough. And this is an interesting uh, tidbit as I was studying that uh, Paul never uses this phrase in any of his other letters, but, uh, but this one of uh, complaining and grumbling. And all the other New Testament authors, when they use this phrase, it's to reference the Israelites in the wilderness. Um, and after they came out of Egypt and they're wandering the desert and 
to hopefully go into the promised land. And uh, the Israelites, uh, God was, uh, they were grumbling and complaining too. God was leading them. He just led them out of uh, the, uh, Egypt into Mount Sinai where he made a covenant with them. And they start taking off for the land of milk and honey, the promised land. And they complained against Moses and against God, even though God was leading them well. And even though God was providing for them and taking care, caring for them, they tried to hoard the manna because they didn't trust. Even though God showed them the promised land, they saw the people there and got scared and wanted to go back to Egypt. <laughs> they constantly complained and grumbled. <coughs> it caused disunity at the camp. They became a crooked generation that ended up wandering the desert and never seeing the promised land because of their complaining and grumbling. Even though God was there, even though God was abundantly giving to them every step of the way, they still complained and grumbled. Paul's saying God is a God of abundance and he takes care of his people. So when we understand that God delights in us and we put others before ourselves, then we do this in un- and we do this in unity, then we shine like the stars. Like it says, when, then you shine among them like the stars in the sky and you hold firmly to the word of life. When we do this, we shine bright like the stars because this is not normal. <laughs> this is not what the world does. They'd rather grumble and live in scarcity and hoard and complain. But when we do this as a community of believers, it adds to our witness. It adds to people going, what, what's different about you guys? And it is the, the center of the unity that opposes all the other uh, forces, the internal and the external, within the church and within our church. So the last few verses say this. It says, and then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I do did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is saying he didn't, hasn't labored in vain because of what they have done. And their, his, their faith brings him joy. And they should rejoice too, no matter what happens to Paul, because part of the context here is Paul's in jail. He might die and... He says, it doesn't matter because of you, because of you taking what I taught you and working it out. You should rejoice too, even if I die, because I'm going to be unified with God at that point in time. And so we, we read earlier in the scriptures where he says, you know, to, to die is Christ. I'm going to mix that up. I'm sorry. I shouldn't even say that. <laughs> but to die is Christ's gain. And so Paul is basically saying like, If I die, I get to be united with Christ. But if I don't, then I get to continue to live for Christ here. And so that is important. That is the key to unity. That is what Paul is trying to get to the church. Is that we're supposed to be humble servants to each other. Serving through God's abundance in our own lives. And I want to share a a story with you um, that I think summarizes and uh, really is applies these principles that we've talked about today. Um, and so the story comes from a church I used to serve at. Um, I used to live in Alaska for 10 years and uh, served at a church called Community Covenant Church in Eagle River. I was a youth pastor there and moved up there in 2004 right out of college. And this church had been existed for about 10 years. 
It was fairly large. Um, but the story of its existence happened this way. There was a group of 30 people who lived in Eagle River or just right around the surrounding areas who wanted to establish this church. They were all from the Evangelical Covenant denomination, which is our denomination. And so they got together to meet, to have Bible study with each other, to pray with each other, to worship, and uh, potentially plant a church in their community. And so they reached out to the denomination um, and asked what they should do. And they said, keep meeting, and we'll, they're going to start trying to find a pastor for you guys. Um, and during their prayer time and their meeting time, they realized that they needed to put uh, their preferences to how to do church they needed to lay them down before the Lord. They needed to submit them to God into this process. And, um, and so they did. They did. They submitted to the Lord the way they loved to do church to what the denomination and their, the pastors that they would call to what he saw fit. And when they called them out, that sacrifice was met and they started a new church. And when I moved up there 10 years later, it started from 30 people. And there was like six to 700 people attending this church at that time. And it's not about the numbers. The numbers are, uh, are there, but the changed life. My wife came to Christ because of that church plant, because they were meeting in a junior high. And her, she happened to go one day. <laughs> she came to the Lord because of that. That's what mattered. And that wouldn't have happened have these people not been humble servants willing to put their interests below those of others? They gave of themselves. They were humble servants. They put others first, which led to unity as their church, which led to a powerful witness in the community that they were serving. And I remember we used to have business meetings and as part of our business meetings, because business meetings are pretty dry, right? <laughs> if you go, but we would have celebration before and after. Um, and one of the things we would do as part of our celebration is just have an open mic of people sharing what God has been doing in them or in our church. And I remember Ruth, who was one of the founding members, standing up that, um, during that business meeting, grabbing the mic and saying, this is not how I would have imagined church or how I would have done church. But I can't imagine it being any better than it is right now because of all of you people. There was only 30 of us when we started. And look at you. You guys are, we see lives change. We see people coming to Christ. We see people transformed through discipleship. And she was so overjoyed. She didn't live out of scarcity. She didn't complain. She didn't grumble because she put her preferences down. But she was joyful because of the work of the Lord that was happening in that community. And so I, like Paul, want to encourage you guys to continue to live into your salvation, to continue to, continue to work it out and uh, be humble servants to each other and those around you because it's a unifying principle and it is an amazing witness to the community that we live in. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God and that you desire us to be of one mind, one spirit, and one body. And Lord, I pray that you would help us live into that every day, Lord, here at Faith Cove. And God, that you would help us just um, be on fire for you in a way that causes us to put down our preferences, that causes us to be humble and serve those around us in a way that glorifies and honors you. And help us to remember that it's you through your abundance and your love that we're able to do this, that we cannot do it on our own. 
but it's through you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.